Thank you, Tim, for reading our scripture tonight, and thank you for being here. We are going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6 in our study tonight, and we're actually going to be looking at this lesson in two parts. And so I want to just uh, let you know that this will be a two-part lesson. Uh, I've got several things that I want to cover in our study, and so I thought maybe it'd be best to just take our time and go through the material. We do appreciate so much you being here today. Uh, we're very grateful for the opportunity to be together tonight. Uh, we're very grateful for all the blessings that we enjoy in Christ. Uh, I do want to say that I know school has started, and uh, I would imagine that everyone is back in the saddle again, and it's our prayer that this will be a great school year for you. Uh, we got a lot, of, a lot of students, we got a lot of teachers, administrators, and those who work with the school system, we're very grateful for you, the sacrifices that you make. And uh, I know that there are many, many challenges that face those who teach and those who work in our school system, but we're grateful that you've made the decision to make a difference in the lives of people. Tonight in our study, I want to talk for a little bit about ready for battle. And you and I both know that as Christians, we're involved in spiritual warfare. Paul said, the passage read a moment ago, be strong in the Lord and in the power or the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. The Bible has a lot to say about the spiritual warfare that we're involved in. I think that there are a lot of folks that underestimate the nature of the battle that we're involved in. Too many people do not understand that we are in a fight for our lives. The devil is doing everything within his power to destroy those of us who belong to the, to the human family. When I think about the insidious work of the devil... One thing that stands out to me is he knows what he's doing. He knows his job. He's very good at it. And so it's incumbent on us that we know how to withstand him, to stand against him, because I'm telling you, he's going to bring it every day. He's going to bring his A game every single day. And he has been at work for a long, long time. And so as we think about ready for battle, you remember Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. To understand that we are at war. Paul talks about waging a good warfare. Paul here in Ephesians chapter 6 uses the imagery of being on the battlefield. And the battlefield that we're on is a spiritual battlefield. And so we've got to arm ourselves for the battle at hand. We've got to be ready to meet the devil because he's coming after us. As we read two weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter said, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary of the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the devil's coming. And sadly, he's in the lives of a lot of folks. He has destroyed a lot of lives. And he will continue to do so until the end of time. I want to begin tonight by talking a little bit about the enemy in our battle. Now, the Bible talks a lot about the devil. 
And the Bible lends insight into the warfare that we're involved in. For example, Matthew in Matthew chapter 4, in discussing the battle that Jesus waged with the devil, he identified him as the tempter. He is called in Matthew chapter 13, the wicked one. In Matthew chapter 13 and about verse 39, he is identified by Jesus as the enemy. To know the enemy and to know how he operates, to understand his tactics, to recognize that he has a game plan, that he has strategy. His strategy is to dupe those of us who belong to the human family. I want to talk a little bit about our nemesis in this battle. And the first thing that I want to call attention to is the fact that he is deceptive. Now you remember John in the Revelation identified the devil, Satan, our adversary. He identified him as the deceiver of the whole world. You see, when we talk about the devil and his work, his playground, his work is the world, isn't it? And don't you find it interesting that Paul identifies him in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? In verse 4, as the God of this age, of this world. And the fact that he is the God of this age, no wonder John would say that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The world in which we live is engulfed in spiritual darkness. The devil has been wrecking havoc and deceiving members of the human family going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You remember when God made man, placed him in that utopian environment? God specifically stated in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, man was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Did God mean what He said? You know, sometimes I hear parents, and when they are having trouble with their children, they'll tell them, if you do that again, what am I going to do? I'll pop you, I'll punish you. Child pushes it, does it again, and what do they say? If you do it again, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to pop you. Child does it again. Look, the devil... The devil pushed the envelope with the human family. And when God said to the first couple, you're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat thereof you will surely die, God meant what He said. And so when God said you will die, that's exactly what occurred in the Garden of Eden. So turn over to chapter 3. Here we are introduced to the serpent, more subtle than any beast of the field. He comes upon Mother Eve, he asked a question about the tree, the trees of the garden. Go back and look with me if you would for a moment. I want you to see something in Genesis chapter 3. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of, the, of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the trees which are in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest what happens? Lest you die. Now God didn't say anything about not touching the fruit. 
But in verse 4, listen to what the serpent said. You will not surely die. What did God say? God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now we talk about the master of deceit, and that's the devil. He is, as John said, I referenced a moment ago in Revelation, he is the deceiver of the whole world. So when he told Mother Eve, you will not surely die, that was a blatant lie, was it not? And didn't Jesus identify the devil in John 8, verse 44, as the father of lies? Why? Because he is the originator of lies, isn't he? Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And so note the continuation. Verse 5. God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, that you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And now note what is said. So when the woman saw, that's the lust of the eyes, isn't it? That the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. The Bible says she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Now, when I think about our nemesis in this battle, first and foremost, I need to understand that he is a master deceiver. He is a deceiver. Not only is he a deceiver, but he is destructive, isn't he? And I want to talk about this at length for maybe a moment or two, or I want to talk about it at length in our lesson tonight. If you turn over to Genesis chapter 5, we talk, about, we, we talk about the deceit and the destructiveness of the devil. In chapter 5, we have the genealogical, the genealogical family of Adam. Down in verse 5, an expression is used, and he died. In verse 8, again, and he died. Verse 11, and he died. Verse 14, and he died. Do you see a pattern there? When the devil wrecked havoc in the Garden of Eden, a couple of things occurred. The first, with the inception of sin, came death. God said, look, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. I believe that man began to die physically in the Garden of Eden. Man's spiritual death occurred because man was separated from God, wasn't he? That's why in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have an introduction to the promised seed, the Messiah. The Messiah would come and remedy the problem that the devil had created between mankind and his Creator. And so God began unveiling or unfolding His redemptive plan. But then physical death. Physical death is a result of the work of the devil in the Garden of Eden. Now you think about the destructiveness of the devil and all of the havoc that he has created since the Garden of Eden. I mean, we talk about disease and illness 
and sorrow and sadness and heartache and tears. I mean, you look at all of the problems that we face in the human family. Where where did it all originate in the Garden of Eden? All of those problems are a result of what the devil did in Eden. Now Paul in Romans chapter 5 said, Through one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. As a result of the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we today have to deal with death, don't we? We can be thankful to God that Jesus came to destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil according to Hebrews 2.14. We can be grateful that John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, but the consequences of what occurred in the Garden of Eden have had terrible effects on the human family. Now, I want you to go back with me for a moment and look again at what Paul says in Ephesians 6. We're talking about our nemesis in the battle and the fact that he is deceptive and destructive. Listen now to what Paul said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. Now back up with me, if you would, to chapter 4 for a moment. And look at chapter 4, verse 27. Paul here makes this observation. Neither give place, and there's a footnote in some translations that say, neither give opportunity to the devil. The word place in the original is spelled T-O-P-O-S, topos. It is the word from which we get our term topography. And really what it means is a piece of ground, a place. And what Paul is saying is that we're not to yield ground to the devil. That's why in chapter 6 he would say, look, you've got to be ready to stand You've got to be ready to withstand in the evil day. Why? Because the devil is hurling all of his fiery darts in your direction. He's deceptive. He is destructive. And I want to talk a little bit about the realms in which the devil is operating. And not only is he operating in these realms, but he is proving to be quite successful. First, in the private realm. You know, we talk about our private life and our public life. Well, the devil has wrecked havoc on our private lives. As a result of that, he has made inroads into our public lives, hasn't he? So I want you to think about for a moment or two, think about how the devil has gobbled up ground when it comes to our home to our home life. I mean, if you were going to try to destroy the fabric of a civilization or a nation or a group of people, where would you begin? Why not begin with the home? I mean, why not attack the very fabric of a nation? Don't we always say, as the home goes, so goes the nation? 
Isn't it true that the nation is in trouble because the home is in trouble? So where would you start? Wouldn't you start with marriage? Has there not been an all-out assault led by the devil with regard to marriage? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 19 when Jesus was asked on one occasion, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? How did Jesus respond to that question? Do you remember? He responded with a question. He asked them, have you not read? One of the reasons why the devil has made a lot of inroads into our homes today, particularly in America, is quite frankly, we haven't read the Bible. And we're going to talk about the work of the devil in the public realm. But think about this for a minute. If, if the devil has removed the Word of God from our home life, then why should we care whether or not it's in public? You see, if he attacks the home, destroys the foundation of the home, undermines the importance of God's Word in the home unit, then let me tell you what, the public sector, that's going to follow. That's just natural. That is a consequence of what happens in the home, in the private realm, isn't it? Now, there were safeguards under the law of Moses to keep God's people on the right track. Sadly, a lot of folks under the, under the Mosaic dispensation, a lot of folks got off track and they paid a heavy price. A lot of people in our culture today are off track. And I can tell you why. The reason is because we have forgotten the importance of God's Word. When you think about the devil when he preyed upon Adam and Eve, particularly Eve, didn't he ask, didn't he ask about what God said? So, what God said, it's either extremely important or it is not important. With that in mind, turn with me, if you would, for a moment, back to the book of Deuteronomy. We talk about safeguards under the Mosaic dispensation. You remember God set apart the children of Israel because they would be the ones through whom the Christ would come. In Exodus chapter 19, God entered into a covenant relationship with His people. That covenant was conditional, predicated on their willingness to obey His Word. He would bless them. If they refused to follow His Word, then ultimately they would pay a heavy price. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses said, this is the commandment, these are the statutes and judgments which the which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you, you and your son, your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. God here is talking about not just one generation of people, but successive generations, isn't He? And He's saying that in order for these generations to enjoy prosperity, we talk about the perpetuity 
of generations and of families. According to Moses, it was all tied to their allegiance to the Word of God. Look at verse 3. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. How do we grow to a deeper love for God? How do we deepen our love for God? Wouldn't you say it's tied to spending time with Him? Knowing something about Him? Being familiar with Him? How often have you heard somebody say, absence makes the heart grow fonder? Do you believe that? You know, I understand sometimes when we're separated from people that we love, there is a yearning to be reunited. The flip side, however, is out of sight, out of mind. And so if we're not reading and studying and thinking about spiritual things, and if we're not looking at what God has done for us and thinking about the love that He has for us, it's going to be difficult for us to create an atmosphere of love in our own heart. John said we love Him because He first loved us. And so he said in verse 6, These words which I commend you today shall be in your heart. Now look at verse 7, very important words. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What's that? You shall teach them diligently to your children. What? God's Word. He said you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, as a family unit, here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend time with my Word. And I want you to go over, rehearse if you please, my Word with your children. And with your children's children, your grandchildren. Now, when we talk about cultivating an atmosphere of respect and appreciation for spiritual things, one of, one of the things that I think about with regard to children is they often ask questions. If we create a spiritual atmosphere, hopefully and prayerfully, it will arouse questions. The whole tenor of the law of Moses was to accentuate a God-centered life. And as a matter of fact, there were certain things that they would do. For example, the feast, the Passover feast. That afforded the children of Israel an opportunity for them to tell their children, okay, here's what God did for us. Now you think about as parents today, how many parents, mamas and daddies, are sitting down with their children and saying, you know what, we've been blessed. Blessed in this country. Blessed with freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press. We have the opportunity to bow in public in settings like this and worship God because of the goodness and graciousness of God in heaven. We as a nation of people have prospered greatly because God has blessed us. Rather than taking this idea that we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps and that we are the ones in control to acknowledge God and His benevolent acts. 
Didn't Paul say, it's in Him that we live and move and have our very being? Wasn't it Paul that said that God is the giver of all life, breath, and all things? Yes, He did. As parents, we have the opportunity to remind our children of these things. To talk about spiritual things. In Exodus chapter 12, you remember God instituted the Passover and it would be through the death of the firstborn that the children of Israel would ultimately leave Egyptian bondage. And so down in verse 25 of chapter 12, listen to what Moses said on behalf of God. He said, you shall observe this thing, verse 24, as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as He promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Now listen, that you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when He struck the Egyptians and delivered our households, so the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Now we're talking about a family unit, aren't we? And Moses here is saying, okay, this is going to give you as parents the opportunity to teach your children about God's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. As mamas and daddies, when we open the Bible and we, as we talk to our children and have devotionals with our children and talk about spiritual things, can't we talk about not just the blessings of God in the physical realm, the material realm, but also in the spiritual realm? Can't we remind our children that, you know what? God is good. And God is so good that He has made it possible for us to enjoy deliverance from all that the devil has done to the human family. From the bondage of sin, we can be His people. We can be His children. Now, in Matthew 19, when Jesus asked that question, have you not read? That really is a profound question. Because if you look at the history of the Jewish people as, as a whole, they were the custodians of Scripture, weren't they? They were to have been a witness to the nations around them, according to Isaiah. They had been the recipients of the oracles of God. And what God said to the children of Israel through Moses was that if you will obey this if you'll obey this, this message, I'll bless you. But if you don't, he said, I will curse you. Now, I say all that to emphasize a couple of things. First, we're talking about the destructiveness of the devil and also the deceptiveness of the devil. When the devil takes the Bible out of our homes, we pay a heavy price. And ultimately, it will filter over into the public realm. Turn with me now, if you would, to the book of Hosea for a minute. And listen, if you would, to what Hosea said in the long ago. You know this verse, these verses. Hosea chapter 4. Listen, if you would, to what the prophet says to God's people. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. 
For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. What was it Jesus asked? Have you not read? Centuries earlier, the prophet chided the children of Israel because he said, look, you are bankrupt with regard to spiritual knowledge. In verse 6, he would say, my people, he said, listen to him, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So when the devil comes in, removes the Word of God from our homes, accentuates the material and the physical over the spiritual, what happens? Always leads to destruction, doesn't it? Always leads to problems. Listen to what Hosea said. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. I want to ask you a question. Where did that begin? Now, it played out in the public sector, agreed. But where did it begin? In the home. We wonder today why people in our nation, young and old, act like rebels, like heathens, why they do and say some of the most despicable things that we can only imagine, I can tell you why. Because before they ever acted like that in public, they were acting like that in private life. What's going on in the public sector is a result of what did not go on in the private sector. You know what that was? Teaching, instructing, exemplifying Christian virtues. Look, the devil, and you gotta, you got to say, the guy knows what he's doing, doesn't he? He is identified as the deceiver of the whole world because that's his specialty. And he is wrecking havoc in the lives of people tonight. And it all began where? In the home. And one of the things that he's done, he has destroyed a lot of marriages, hasn't he? Not only has he destroyed a lot of marriages, but he has destroyed the lives of a lot of folks before they ever went to the altar. You see, Jesus said, A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. What he's saying is that when two people enter into, a, into the covenant of marriage, there is a leaving and cleaving process. The apron strings must be cut, right? A lot of marriages fail because young people have not cut the apron string. Mamas and daddies haven't cut the apron strings. Sometimes young couples get out, they're ill-prepared for marriage, it ends in divorce. And sadly, it goes back to what Jesus asked. Have you not read? We're talking, about, we're talking about a relationship that is intended to be permanent in nature. 
permanent. This idea of no-fault divorce, that's from the devil. That didn't originate with Jesus. This idea of just divorcing and remarrying and living like we want to, let me tell you what, that is right out of the devil's handbook. There is only one biblical reason for divorce and remarriage. Do you know what that is? It's called fornication, Matthew 19, verse 9. And what Jesus said is, the innocent party has the right to put the guilty party away and to remarry. Now the innocent party could take them back. The guilty party, however, must live a celibate life if he or she wants to go to heaven. Somebody says, that's pretty hard. Look, I didn't make the rules. The Lord did. People that have a problem with it need to talk to Jesus. He's the one that set the terms, not me. My job is to uphold what Jesus said. It's narrow, but it's just as narrow as He said. Now you think about the home today. There are a lot of folks in our, in our country, in our world today, a lot of mamas and daddies that are living together without ever having been married. The world calls it shacking up. That's not biblical. Sometimes I hear people talking about how spiritual they are and how they pray to God and do this and do that, and they are living in open sin. The Bible says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Fornicators and adulterers. Listen to what Paul said. God will judge, Hebrews chapter 13. This idea of shacking up that's so common in America, and let me tell you what, people in my age group, you would be amazed the number of folks in my age group that are shacking up. It was wrong 2,000 years ago, it's wrong today. And the devil has perpetrated a lie in this world. And that is that God doesn't really care. Let me tell you what, He cares. He cares so much that what He said is, if you live in a sexual relationship without the benefits of marriage, it'll cost you your soul. That's how plain it is. Now, you know, sometimes I think about the challenge of trying to teach older people. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, isn't it? There, there are a lot of things that, that I really don't want to learn because I think I'm too old. If you think about trying to reason with older people, sometimes it's hard to reason with older people even when it comes to biblical matters. So maybe I can't reach the older generation, but I can reach the younger generation. And what I'd say to our young people in our assembly tonight is choose wisely when it comes to marriage. Choose wisely. I would encourage you, don't just marry a Christian, you marry a faithful Christian. And there's a difference. Don't marry a lukewarm, apathetic Christian. Why? Because in all probability, 20 years from now, that's what they'll be. Lukewarm and apathetic. Marry somebody that'll help you get to heaven. 
Marry somebody that has the same values that you do. Marry somebody that sees the world just like you do. And understand that God is to be at the apex of your marriage. That everything is to revolve around Him. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'd encourage us to build our homes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, I think about the devil and his deceptive lies and the destructiveness, the havoc that he has wrecked in our world today and in our country. And I see a lot of people, a lot of homes being destroyed by alcohol and drugs, tobacco. And I see people today vaping. Why in the world would you want to breathe in some type of artificial smoke? Let me tell you what, that stuff is deadly. You'll never have a problem with it if you don't try it, so don't try it. There are a lot of young folks that are being deceived, a lot of older folks that are being deceived by the devil. A lot of homes being destroyed because they bring certain elements from the world into the home. And as a result of that, pay a heavy price. I'm going to close tonight. I didn't realize our time was gone, past gone. And uh, what we'll do, we'll put a peg down here and come back. I want to talk a little bit more about the private sector and then talk about the public sector. And I want us to, to think about what the devil is doing. And let me just say this before I close. I've been talking about the home and the spiritual responsibility that we have in the home. And we do have spiritual responsibilities. In the context in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks about the marital relationship. He talks about the relationship that children and parents maintained with one another. And the charge is for parents to rear their children in the Lord. If we do that, we'd be a lot better off. There are spiritual responsibilities, but there are also physical and material responsibilities. And the devil's duped a lot of folks in our world today into bringing children into the world and then not taking care of them, materially speaking. And that is a lie from the devil. Let's close tonight by encouraging all who are here tonight, if you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? If you do, would you not be willing to repent of your sins, confess His name before others, be buried with Him in baptism, to rise to walk in newness of life as the Bible teaches, to live faithfully with the promise crown of life. If you're here tonight and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, maybe your life is unraveled, you're not faithful, you need to be in fellowship with God, could I encourage you to come home? We'd be happy to pray with you and for you, the assurance being that God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.